All right, open your Bibles up to Acts chapter 2, the book of Acts chapter 2. The series is called, Let's Go Change the World. The sermon is called, Built to Last, Part 2. If you missed last Sunday, you missed part 1. You're going to be really confused today, so you've got to go back and find it online or on the app and listen to it. Uh, but this is actually going to be a three-part message, so today we're going to do points 3 and 4. To, uh, next week we're going to do points 5 and 6. <laughs> uh, and so we are going to learn how the early church was built to last. Hey, what were they made of? What was the early church made of? They turned their world upside down. What did God build into them that made them strong? And today we're going to talk about warm, loving, heartfelt, welcoming community. What does it mean to be generous and kind to one another? That's what we're going to see today. The weather is changing. Am I right? How many of you got your winter clothes bins out already? How many of you went to the crawl space and you pulled out the winter bins? I did. See, I've got a flannel on today. Now, I feel like it's a little early, and usually when I do that, what happens is it's going to be 80 next week, right? So when the weather goes up, you can thank me because I'm going to be out there, you know, looking like a fool. But when the weather starts to change, it gets a little chilly, it gets a little cold, and we've got, you know, Jared's in football. So those Friday nights in the bleachers are like, you might as well be sitting in, a, in, a, in an ice, in an igloo, right? When the weather changes, we know what it feels like to not be warm. Uh, when it comes to church community, we don't want to be frigid, cold, hearted toward each other. We want to be warm. When people come to our church, we want them to feel like they are warmly welcomed. We don't want them to feel like they have just arrived at the South Pole. Am I right? Check it out. You know there's a base in the South Pole? And there are people who are living there right now. One woman put a little uh, video up of what it's like to live at the South Pole. Check it out. Hi, guys. A couple of people have been asking what it's like to actually live at the South Pole. So I will be showing you my dorm room. This is a empty dorm. This is kind of what we are given. Just small mattress, pillows. Um, it does come with a great view. The sun has set, so it looks like this all the time now. Um, in about a week, it'll go pitch black. This is my room, what I've done with it. Hi, that's me. Then if you go down the hallway, we have another window. Unfortunately, when the sun goes down, we have to block out all the windows because of the science that goes on. We don't want to interfere. So then if you go outside, oh, it is so cold. It's negative 70 today. Here's a picture. This is what it looks like at the base of the South Pole. Uh, I think she meant negative 70 like Celsius. You're talking like close to negative 100. Um, now here's the thing. We don't want to be South Pole Church. We don't want to be cold. We don't want to be, you know, like frigid toward one another. We want to be warm. We want to build strong, solid, deep, friendly community. Isn't that what you want? I don't want to go to South Pole Church. So we all have to work together to build this warm community. We're going to learn how to do that today. But let's pray before we get into God's Word together. Jesus, thank you for this record in the book of Acts of the early church. Getting together and figuring it out, being led by your Spirit. Last week we learned how they built on the apostles' teaching. They boldly proclaimed God's Word. And they prayed. They prayed fervently for their world and for each other. Today I pray that you would show us how they built a family of believers that were tied together at the heart 
and help us to settle for nothing less today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Okay, Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So last week we talked about they devoted themselves to the teaching Uh, and the apostles' teaching. So we learned about proclaiming God's word, and then we also learned about prayer. They devoted themselves to the prayers. Today we're going to learn about the community that they formed. So the third thing you can write down, number three, is this. Let's build a strong, healthy community. Let's build a strong, healthy community. This comes out of verse 42, where it says, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread. It comes from verse 44, where it says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. And verse 46, where it says, day by day, they were together, breaking bread in their homes, and they had glad and generous hearts. Man, what a great report. If, 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 you know how they do secret shoppers in stores? The secret shoppers go in. Some people get paid to go in and check the prices and everything. Man, if, if secret shoppers kind of came in here and then they like wrote up, what, did it, what was it like to visit that church? Wouldn't this be a great report? Man, they had all things in common. Each day they're together and their hearts are just for each other. I love the description here. The word fellowship in verse 42, you probably know the word koinonia, it means together. It means together. In a parallel passage in chapter 4, verse 32, where this comes up again, the report of the community, it says the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. No one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. This idea of togetherness, shared life, commonality is really what the early church was made of. And so, How do we build that? Well, we have to realize how radical this idea was. To be coming together in the same home was shocking. Okay, now I want to act this out a little bit. All right, so I need a volunteer. Joe, come on up. You're going to be a volunteer. Come on. You get to be in the sermon. Dave, come on up too. All right. Uh, So uh, here's the thing. Joe and I have been friends for life. We're, we're both Jewish, okay? In, this, is, this is pretend, okay? We're both Jewish. We've been buds for life. We've been in each other's homes. We've been family and whatever. Now, Dave over here is a Greek, okay? And he just got saved too. And so I'm like, oh, you're in the faith. This is so great. Now, Dave's a Greek. Now, Joe's never had a Greek in his home ever because you don't do that ever. Not a Roman, not a Greek, not a nobody. Now, I just touched him And in the original theology we learned, I just became not only physically, but morally and spiritually filthy. Filthy. So now I just welcomed him to church. Now I'm going to come back over here and Joe's not going to touch me. Hey, man. Hey, hey, what's up? Hey, why are you being weird? What's going on, man? What's going on? You see how weird this is? Because we've been trained all our life that if you're not Jewish like us, you are 
do you, are you following what I'm saying? Spiritually filthy. And you could, you could make me filthy. Now, here's what the early church did. They figured this out. They figured out how Jew, Greek, Roman, you know, wherever you are from, we can, we, can, <laughs> we can eat together. We can be in the same house together. Now, I want you to know how radical that is. Thanks, guys, so much for helping me out with that. It was shocking what they were doing to the world. Okay, now, and they weren't just getting under the same roof. It just wasn't like, okay, I'm here, nobody touched me. Like, they actually were, by the heart, they were bound together. Uh, it was incredible what was going on. The fact that it mentions the breaking of bread and the prayers kind of together, this could include communion, it doesn't have to. It was, th their relationships were so natural that then when they would get together and break bread, it could just mean they were eating, but the breaking of the bread could have been the communion too. That's like next level. That's like we're sharing in the spiritual ordinances together, meaning we are equals in Christ spiritually. It's a beautiful thing. They're not just learning the theology, they're living it. They are one in Christ. Based on this picture of the early church radically crossing lines that had never been crossed before, Jew and Greek and slave and free and poor and rich coming together on common terms under Christ, don't you catch the vision for what community is supposed to be like here? Don't you see the invitation we are given to join in like them and to enjoy and display the love of Christ? Do you see it? The truth is today we are tempted to isolate to just do life alone, to have our business and to not really let other people in. We're tempted to go on in life without close people who know how we're doing. We're tempted to just busy ourselves with our schedule, our family, our job, and to not make room very often for weekly fellowship, let alone what we're seeing here, daily fellowship. Wow. Do you see the vision of what they were building? But honestly, deep in your soul, don't you long for friends who sit by you and know exactly what you're going through? Don't you long for people who are right there with you? And don't you lament the loneliness of life, the hollowness of feeling alone? Don't you know what happens when we don't have other Christians around us? And because of that, we actually are struggling to feel God's presence because the body of Christ is how he makes himself known to us. Don't you feel that? Don't you feel the temptation to drift and to be isolated? I don't know about you, but I want friends who know how I'm doing and who stick by me no matter at my best or my worst, who support me. I want mentors who help me grow and challenge me to move forward. And I want to know that I'm mentoring people who need me and, and I'm there for them. That's a picture of community. Let's build strong, healthy community. How do we do it? Well, it says here they devoted themselves to several things. The first thing you can jot down is this. Let's worship together weekly. They devoted themselves to worship. Verse 46, tending the temple, breaking bread in their homes. First Corinthians goes into great detail about house churches and how there was worship and there were psalms and there were hymns and there was teaching. They were meeting for worship in their homes. Are you devoted to being together in worship? They, they did daily they did daily, they went up and did something together, a couple prayers or a meeting at night. Are you devoted to that each week? I'm not going to stay on this one for long because next week we're going to talk about worship and evangelism. Those are, those are the last two. But uh, Hebrews 10.24 says this. We'll put it up on the screen. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, 
not neglecting to, what does it say there? To meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day, that's the day of Christ's return, drawing near. Do you see how it's impossible to do the Christian life alone? Yeah, part of it, we call these the two steps of community. The one, the one foot is me and Jesus, me reading my Bible, me memorizing scripture, me doing my devotions. That's the, that's the first foot. But if that's all you have, you're not going to get far before you encounter some pain. Okay, this is about as far as I can go at my age. The other foot is community, me and the fellow Christians around me. And if I'm moving forward privately with Christ, and I'm moving forward in community, then I have a true walk. If I'm only moving forward in community, oh, I love being around people, potlucks galore, but my personal walk is stuck, actually, I'm not going to get far that way either. Got to have both of those feet moving forward. That starts with Sunday worship. Are you devoted to worshiping weekly? I mean, if you're healthy and you're in town, are you here or are you online? Either one. Are you actually weekly? Like, I'm not going to miss one. You know, I'm going to 52 for 52. I'm going to be engaged. What a devotion they had in verse 42. They devoted to doing that. Can you believe this? Every day together. Wow. What a challenge they set for us. Okay, more on that next week. Let's worship together weekly. Next, let's enjoy hospitality and friendship. Go ahead and write that down. Hospitality and friendship. This is only a two-point message, so there's like four sub-points in the first point. Okay, so let's enjoy hospitality and friendship. They were getting together here in their homes. It says that they were breaking bread in verse 42. It says they were together in verse 44, had all things in common. 45, they were even selling, we'll get to that. Giving to one another, verse 46, breaking bread in their homes, receiving their food with glad and generous hearts, and, and they were praising God and having favor with all the people, and many people were being added in. So it wasn't a closed community. There were a lot of new people joining. Let's enjoy hospitality and friendship. This is the just doing life together, you know? This is just being together. I mean, the easiest way to put this into practice is to just have some church people over. Like, let's have some people over. Uh, and sometimes you can go a while and be like, you know, we haven't had people over in a while. Let's just open our homes. And it seems like hospitality is, is kind of going away, doesn't it? Like, back in the day, it seemed like it was just really easy for people to even drop by, you know, unannounced. And now it's like we're so busy, we don't really carve out that time to have people over. Uh, or even going out for a meal after church at a restaurant so someone else does the cooking. Um, but just enjoying hospitality and friendship together, that's what, they, that's what they modeled for us. We have some people in our church who are truly exceptional at this, and, and they really motivate me. Uh, a couple named Bill and Maria Ibarra, man, they've, they've got their backyard decked out to host Maybe you've been over to one of their parties, and they bring the food. Oh, do they bring the food? And you're sitting there just enjoying fellowship late into the night. And the food is incredible, but it's really the fellowship that leaves you warm and filled up the next day. They really motivate me by the example that they're setting. And Sue and Steve Durkacy just have such a heart 
uh, awesome. When we were talking about bringing Alex's family here, love you guys, they came right to me. They're like, we want to talk. We want to, we want to host them. We want to have them here. And that's hospitality. We love you guys. And you guys took the initiative there and said, it doesn't matter what it takes. We're going to make it happen. These are like the hospitality heroes that I have in our church. Now, look, maybe you're not a hospitality hero, okay? But, but we can, you don't have like the long flowing cape, but maybe you can have a little cape, you know, where you become a tiny little hospitality sidekick, you know, where you, you do your part. I love these people who motivate me. Um, you know, fall this hugely busy for Lauren for me. She's full-time teacher now and in ministry. We've got to get things going. It's very easy to say, you know what, we just can't have people over right now. But we said, you know what, let's do something. Let's, let, so we, we moved. We used to have step two here at the church, you know, which is fine. It's not, you know, but we said, you know what, let's just move step two to our house Sunday nights because these are people who are really getting serious about making this their church home. So we said, let's do it. Uh, and uh, we, had, we had like 18 people over at our house for step two a couple nights uh, in a row the last couple of weeks. And it was so good for our hearts to just be in our home with people here, getting to know that Cosmo loved it. Cosmo stole somebody's scone right off of the table. They weren't watching. It's their own fault. But he just was like, this is great. Can we do this every week? Free food for me. So I, I don't know about you, but I'm constantly challenged to get back in the rhythm of hospitality. Maybe you're feeling that challenge too. And it's not just the Mary and Martha, be careful. It's not just the pots and pans and okay, I did it. It's truly the heart of wanting a strong, deep relationship with the Lord and his people. So let's enjoy hospitality and, and friendship. Jot this down. Let's grow together in group life. Let's grow together in group life. So this, these meetings, it's clear elsewhere in Scripture when they were meeting in their homes, as verse 46 talks about, there was some spiritual discipleship happening. So there was worship, often there was a message, uh, there was a devotion. They were, they were actually meeting at times for discipleship purposes. That is why we have group life built into our DNA, right? We, we are more of a group life model of church, and so we'd love to get people growing together in group life. What does that actually mean? Well, what that means is we have small groups throughout the week that meet in homes. Um, so uh, Dave, is, is our, Dave and Sarah are our small group host homes, and so we kind of share the leadership of that. Uh, and so we, we go to their house, and, and we get together as a group, and we, uh, right now we're going through Jonah. Eric Mason's doing a Jonah series. And we're learning about what it meant for Jonah, you know, to, to find his faith and his love for people. Uh, and we're, we're just talking about it. It's kind of more of a devotion. It's not a Bible study. It's more of a devotional time where we get in God's Word and we learn about His Word together. Then we break off into groups, if it's a mixed group, men with men, women with women, and we check in with each other. How's your walk? We hold each other accountable to actually moving forward into helping one another. And our small groups, man, like if somebody ends up in the hospital, somebody has a big prayer request, the small group is kind of the um, front line of caring for the person. So if, if you're in a small group, we can do a great job caring for you. That's how we get people connected. But we also have other group opportunities. We have what's called freedom groups, and those are meeting Sunday afternoon now. That's uh, our soul care ministry. Maybe you've not heard that term before. Soul care is when you have needs in your heart, emotional, spiritual, that are really deep and can actually be severe or long-standing. 
And you really want to work through things like, why am I battling anxiety or struggling with depression? Or how do I get past my past? How do I plan for the future? It's, it's that deeper level of care that you seek out in freedom groups together. And uh, how many of you have gone through, we used to call them hope groups, hope groups or freedom groups. Put your hand up if you kind of went through those in the past. We used to have a big group, you know, here. You know what I'm talking about. There are kind of hang-ups in the heart that if you've never really said, I'm going to focus on getting well at the deepest level, boy, it's, it's, it's really helpful. It's better to do it before a big crisis. You know, it's essential to do it during and after things have happened and you're trying to figure out what happened. It's really imperative that you figure out how to move forward from things. So freedom groups are really a way that we get people together to grow at a deeper level. We also have targeted groups like Anchor Bible Institute meets Monday nights, and that's a discipleship group. It's more like a class. We have women's Bible studies Wednesday morning, Wednesday night. Uh, and then we have other groups like FPU, Financial Peace University, and, and some others as well. This is how we are trying to get people grouped up and growing together. And I don't, I don't care which group you become a part of, but I would love for you to be growing in group life because that's what we see modeled for us here in the early church. They were, they were getting together and they were growing in groups. So let's enjoy hospitality and friendship. Let's grow together in group life. And then jot this down. Let's resolve conflict in a mature biblical manner. Let's resolve conflict in a mature biblical manner. This is looking ahead to um, how the early church protected community. But it says here they had uh, glad and generous hearts. And it says in verse 42, they were devoted to one another. In chapter 4, it says they were of one heart and soul. And what we will find in the book of Acts is they went through some big problems together. Theological problems, relational problems, cultural problems, financial problems. They went through persecution that there were things that kept trying to detonate their community. And they resolved conflict in a mature biblical manner. Soon we'll read about how some of the widows were getting overlooked in the benevolence. So it was like kind of like the benevolence fund is not being used properly. It was an ethical problem because it, uh, it, it fell along the lines of, of culture and, and language barriers. So one group was being overlooked um, and it was also a leadership problem. They didn't have deacons yet. So the apostles were getting worn out and they had to change their leadership structure. There's theological disputes coming up. They had to have entire theological church conferences to get together and figure out how the Old Testament applies to new Gentile Christians. They had leaders like Peter who were demonstrating hypocrisy in public and Paul had to literally come and confront him to his face and say, your conduct is out of line with the gospel. They had big problems to work through. They had people in the church who were covering up sin that was so grievous to the Lord, like Ananias and Sapphira, that they actually lost their lives because of it. They had sin in the church that they had to take drastic action to uncover and to clean out from the congregation. Paul and Barnabas just had a dispute over what the next step is for me. We should go here. No, we should go here. No, blew up. They worked through some significant problems, and they did it together. So as a congregation, we have to learn how to resolve conflict in a mature biblical manner. And that means that we're humble, we're open, we're gracious. James talks about the fruit of, of heaven that comes down. Open to reason, gracious, appeasable. We're, we're willing to work through it together. And I do believe as a congregation, we can work through anything together. 
if we bring humble hearts to the table, if we speak openly and graciously, if we give the mercy that God gave us to one another, I think we can work through anything together. They had to do it to protect this heartfelt bond that they had with each other. So number one, number three, let's build a strong, healthy community. Let's worship together weekly. Let's enjoy hospitality and friendship. Let's grow together in group life. And let's resolve conflict in a mature biblical manner. Um, One last quote before we go on to the next one. I like what Paul Tripp says uh, in the book, Relationships, A Mess Worth Making. He says this, None of us ever gets to be in a relationship with a finished person. God's redemptive work of change is ongoing in all of our lives. That's a reminder that we need to keep building community patiently with each other. Okay, number four, jot this down. Let's give generously to the Lord. Let's give generously to the Lord. It says in verse 42, they were meeting, they had the fellowship. Verse 43, awe came upon every soul. It says in verse 44, all who believed were together and had all things in common. Then it says in verse 45, they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So what we see here is, what was the early church made of? The early church was made of generosity. And that word koinonia can be used to not only say we are together, but to say uh, that we are sharing together in each other's needs. We are giving generously to the Lord and to each other. So let's do a bit of a survey of how the New Testament gave and some of the Old Testament principles too. If they were a generous community, do you read in verse 45 how generous were they? Some were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing proceeds to all as any had need. We read that some people had extra properties and they were so moved in the heart toward the mission and toward the people of God that they actually sold those extra properties and and brought their resources to come and help others and to help the mission move forward. That's incredible generosity. So let's give generously to the Lord and let's learn about how giving worked here in the New Testament. It's important to know in their culture that these New Testament Christians generally would have had little. Not only in Israel, under the mighty Roman Empire, did they have very few freedoms and very few entitlements to rights, uh, but they were heavily taxed, and they didn't have things like healthcare or Costco, you know? So most of them would have been day-wage workers, which means you kind of get your wages at the end of the day. Um, And savings, likely not, no refrigeration. It was truly, if you could put yourself in their shoes, they had to trust God for their daily bread. They didn't even really have a week kind of stored up. It's get paid, go get this day taken care of, and then we'll, we'll cross tomorrow when it, when it comes. Um, then you start spreading the church out, and what happened was some cities were exceedingly wealthy, like Corinth, was, they were really loaded. And then there were other cities, like in Macedonia, that would hit some pockets of poverty, and then a famine would come in, and then the Jerusalem church would suddenly be struggling, and they started to figure out how they could kind of come together and care for each other and give generously through their church interactions. So these day tradesmen, carpenters, or farmers, agricultural workers, that were exposed to all the uncertainties like weather or war or famine, uh, they are great role models for us of what it means to just care for one another, what it means to just give to the Lord generously. I love the example they set for us. 
When it comes to the giving, it's super important to know from the beginning that it came from the heart. It came from the heart. It was not under compulsion. It says that they, in verse 44, had all things in common. And it says in chapter 4, verse 32, they were of one heart and soul. Boy, we've got to start there. It's not under compulsion. Uh, they, they didn't have to give. They loved to give to each other. Let's just start there. Boy, in our heart, do we have this one heart and soul mindset when we look around at, at, at our church family and at those who are on mission for the Lord? Do we have this heart to actually be generous? That's where it all begins. And then do we understand what God's Word says about giving and what we have to decide in our heart? So we'll put 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 11 up on the screen. Here's what it says. The point is, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. So this idea is now like you're out in the field, it's time to plant, you've got the seeds, and um, there's, there's two options here to sow sparingly. So, you know, some, somebody's like, seed, seed, seed. And then it says, whoever sows bountifully, so that's like pile of seed, pile of seed, will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided, there it is again, in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Do you see the vertical nature first? We trust God is able to provide for us, and, and then we horizontally, we sow our seeds generously, bountifully believing that the harvest uh, will, will be bountiful as well. Let's give generously to the Lord and to others through the Lord. Well, how do we do that? Well, jot this down. We begin by joyfully surrendering all to Jesus. We begin by joyfully surrendering all to Jesus. Uh, first, we have to bring all to him because he gave all for us. If we're not fully surrendered from the start of faith in Christ, then what we have is we kind of have the, I'm protecting certain parts of my life from the lordship of Jesus. Like, here I am, Lord, okay, uh, but, but don't touch this part of my life or this part of my life or this part of my life. And then, and then Jesus has to kind of, over time, force you to put one thing after another on the table. He really wants us to start by surrendering everything. In 2 Corinthians 8, 9, it talks about what Jesus did for us. Here's what it says. It says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, that means he enjoyed eternal glory in the Father's presence, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. That means spiritually God has given you and me every blessing in Christ. All of the treasures of heaven are ours in Christ, spiritually, and we will reign with him forever. But it says here he became poor. He left all that behind for us so that we could enjoy the abundance of his riches. That should motivate us to respond to Christ. It says in Romans 12:1, Paul says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So the first thing that you bring to him is everything. I'm, I'm on the altar. I am the offering. 
It would kind of be a funny sight if the ushers were passing the bags and you grabbed the bag and you stood up and you just kind of put one foot in it, you know, and then you kind of put the other foot in it. You tried to like pull it up, you know, and then you're like, take me away. What are you doing? I'm the offering. I'm giving everything, all that I am. That's the idea of crawling up on the altar as a living sacrifice. You are the offering. Now, if you haven't gotten to that point yet, every other opportunity to give is just going to be hard because you haven't fully surrendered yourself to him. And you feel like God's kind of coming to take, to take, to take, right? And that's not it at all. He gave it all. So we give it all to him. Then the platform for generosity is truly laid. God is a giver and he wants us to be like him. Let me ask you this. Have you surrendered all, surrendered all to Jesus who gave it all for you? Have you truly, maybe even knelt down and said, Jesus, it's all yours. My body, my life, my house, my cars, my kids, my spouse, my job. It's all yours. Have you surrendered it all? Or are you still holding on to some of it and trying to be a really bad CEO of your own life? Boy, what a relief when you surrender it all to him, joyfully surrendering all to Jesus. Jot this down. And then overflowing with love for God and others. Overflowing with love for God and others. We've seen this throughout the life of our congregation. We are a generous church, and I'm inviting you to help continue what we already are, to joyfully join in the generosity. But it's been so great to see God's people overflow with love for God and others. You know, we've sent out several church planners, missionaries, we've supported them. Um, but Mike Kiowski many years ago went to Romania and we, we rallied to him and to go and support church planning throughout Europe. And it was so amazing. He, he, had been, he was fully funded a year in advance. So often when missionaries go out, they're constantly, oh, we got a need, we got a need, they're behind, right? Uh, and, and here we rallied to him and he had everything he needed and more. You know. And then it happened again, Mark and Sarah, you know, we're going to go to Glasgow, we're going to start church planning in Western Europe, UK, and God's people rallied to them. Do you know Mark and Sarah have all of 2023 support in the bank? A year is already stored up. Now they'll still need ongoing support, but it's pretty nice to already have next year in the bank. Wow, we're a generous church. Others also rallied to support them. But a large amount of that came from within this congregation and from our church. Every time we have a need, God's people here have answered. Whether it's a benevolence offering, I think our first benevolence offering, we collected like $40,000 for people in need way back in the day. People rallied to that opportunity. We've had a few building programs here. The banks usually tell you, well, if you can collect 80% of what people pledge, then we'll give you two thumbs up. All right. We collect over 100% phase one and over 100% phase two. God's, and that, who was here when the boiler went out toward the end of phase one? We were like, right toward the end. We're like, we're going to make it. And then boiler goes, boom. And the kids have winter coats on upstairs. And I had to get up and say, we need even more. <laughs> and we did even that. And God's people have risen to the challenge. And it's from the heart. It's from the heart. I'll never forget when uh, I was feeling called into ministry. You know, we had two little girls. And Lauren was staying home. And I was a teacher 
know, when you're a teacher, they give you the spreadsheet of what you're going to be making 20 years from now, you know, total security. But I was feeling called to go into ministry. And I, the pastor of the church where they brought me on as a youth pastor met with the church council and he said, all right. He handed out a piece of paper and at the top of the paper he wrote, Bayan Orion. Bayan Orion, meaning how are we going to afford bringing Ryan on full-time staff? And he laid out how they could afford half of what it would cost to bring me on full-time. But by faith, they were going to make the hire. And Lauren and I were like, we're ready to go. I mean, we'll, we'll, we'll live in a van down by the river if we have to. I mean, we are going to, we are called into ministry. And that church rose up and they, they gave, there was one couple who doubled their giving and, and we never, ever missed getting paid at that church. And that was true church plant life up there. Why? Because people overflowed with love for God and others. I hope you know that we're a generous congregation, and I hope that you're excited to be a part of that. In Philippians 4, 18 to 19, Paul shared with this church in Philippi his heart because they were givers toward him. Uh, He said this, he said, I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphrodites the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, listen to what he's saying here. This is, a, this is where the church gave different ways. So the early church, uh, you know, in Acts, is primarily talking about kind of benevolence, who needs something. They also gave to support uh, apostles like Paul who were going out and planting churches. They supported him, and he said, look, I've got everything I need. I got the gift you sent. Listen to what he calls it, though. He said, this is an acceptable sacrifice to God. To God. He knew that this, this funneling of, of God's resources to the church planning effort was actually giving to God. And he said, And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory. Do you see how giving to the needs in the congregation or to the, those who are going out and building up the church, do you see how that's an offering to God himself? And, and it's pleasing to him. So we're overflowing with love for God and for others. Okay, so give generously to the Lord. Begin by joyfully surrendering to Jesus. Overflow with love for God and others. And then jot this down. Have a plan that demonstrates genuine sacrifice. Have a plan that demonstrates genuine sacrifice. So as the daily wage earners here, uh, most of them would have kind of a get paid at the end of the day, and now we're getting the week going. So Paul kind of set a principle down for a lot of them and he says that in 1 Corinthians 16, 1-2. He says this. We'll put that up. For, uh, there it is. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so he kind of told this to all the churches, so you also are to do. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will no, be no collecting when I come. So we see a principle here of God first. So you go out, you do your work the first day, you get the very first paycheck of the week, and that's when you set it aside. So God goes first, not last. God gets the best of the first, not the leftovers at the end of the week. And this is how he would tell them this is a plan. Have, have this plan, have this rhythm, you know, when you, in the first group. Now think of the faith that took. You know, they got a whole week and then a whole month and year coming, and it comes in the first day of the week, and we're like, and they're like, God first. God first, and we'll trust him for the rest of the week. That's how they planned to make a genuine sacrifice. There are many ways that we can plan. At the beginning of the year, we hand out a giving plan for the year. Maybe many of you filled that out. 
And then as we said today, we've got a fourth quarter giving game plan because it's biblical to just have a plan, to not just be unplanned in your giving and to put God first. Sometimes people say, well, what is a good biblical plan? How do I develop that? Maybe, maybe for you, this giving thing is a new thing. Maybe Christianity is a new thing. I, I remember when I started going to church, I didn't know anything about anything, let alone giving. And so I remember the pastor teaching about what would be called the principle of tithing, which is kind of like a biblical proportion of giving that's kind of been around for thousands of years in the scripture. But in Malachi 3.10, drawing from the Old Testament, here's what it says. In Malachi 3.10, it says, bring the full tithe, and the word tithe means 10%. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And thereby, God says this, he doesn't say this in scripture, except here, put me to the test. Can you believe he just said that? says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no need. You see the principle here that if we give generously a a proportion, God will meet our needs. And it has to be first. Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 echoes this. Here's what Proverbs 3, 9 to 10 says. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce, then your barns will be filled to plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Generosity brings blessing. And so when we have like an amount that we've dedicated and we kind of give first to God, then he promises to meet all of our needs. And so I don't know what your plan is. Maybe you have a plan, maybe you don't, maybe you need a plan. But we would always commend to you a starting point of just saying, hey, we would love to give a percentage, maybe the biblical tithe, the 10% to the Lord first. Uh, you know, maybe you start smaller than that, but this is kind of a thousands of years tested and true principle in the scripture. You know what? We're going to give the first 10% to God, and we're going to see what, what he does from that point on. That's kind of seen as the beginning point. And then there are special offerings that come up. You could always give just, you know, whatever is uh, possible for you to give. It's not how much you give, it's how you give that matters in scripture. It's never the amount. It's not like there's some magic amount where you give a certain amount and then God's like, you finally did it. The scripture is very clear about that. Um, In fact, in Mark chapter 12, amazing touching story, it says, and Jesus sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Can you even imagine that feeling? Offering time and Jesus is just sitting down, just watching. It would be like, oh, he's, oh, he's just watching, is he? Oh boy, what's he going to think? And it says, many rich people put in large sums. Then it says, and a poor widow came up and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny, a penny. And he called his disciples to him. Well, what's he going to say? Is he going to see that big cat over there, you know, in his fancy clothes? And Jesus said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who were contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. Doesn't that show you the heart of God? It's not the amount. It's not how much. It's how. It's how. It's the heart and the genuine sacrifice that he loves. And so have a plan that demonstrates a genuine sacrifice. There's many special offerings in the Old Testament that came up and in the new famine relief. There were benevolence, there were opportunities. And, you know, for us, we kind of model that. Earlier in the year, we launched the Global Fund, and praise God, we filled that up. And then later in the year, we have a building fund. 
the benevolence fund is actually full. We've got like $25,000 in the benevolence fund. That's because people gave earlier. So we actually don't have to take up an offering for that this year because it's already filled up. But this would be an example of, you know, what can we, what can we give to just help out, just to do our part? And again, it's not the amount. It's not how much. It's how. And so when it comes to uh, what the early church was made of, let's build a strong, healthy community, worshiping together weekly, enjoying hospitality, growing together in group life, resolving conflict. Let's give generously to the Lord by joyfully surrendering all to Jesus, overflowing with love for God and others, having a plan that demonstrates genuine sacrifice, and then finally, trusting God to provide in every season. Trusting God to provide in every season. We know that it is tough right now. Costs have gone up. And so we have to trust the Lord going into this season and coming out of the last season. And so it's kind of a fork in the road. We don't know what the next year is going to hold. There's kind of uncertainty on the horizon. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? There's kind of a bit of a fork in the road. Are we going to buy fear, kind of clam up and not really, you know, listen to what the Word says? Are we going to buy faith? Are we going to trust Him? And are we going to invite God to provide for us? He's inviting us to take that road. And it is a big choice to make. In Haggai 1, verse 6 and 9, God's people had kind of moved off of building up the temple and they were just kind of adorning their own houses. And here's what God says. He who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. You looked for much and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, God says, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. This is kind of a caution to us based on how in Haggai's time they just totally were neglecting God. And God says, man, there's holes in your pockets because of that. And he doesn't want that for us. It says in 2 Corinthians 8, 2-4, how the early church found the blessing of God in a severe test of affliction. There, that's the Macedonian churches, abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part, which means they trusted God in the famine. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. It's incredible to see the model that the early church set. So let me set these two important imperatives before our church. Hey, we want to be built to last. Last week, We've got to preach God's word, and we've got to pray. This week, we've got to build a strong, healthy community, and we have to give generously to the Lord and to others. That's what we have to be made of to follow in their example. Hey, based on that, let's just close out with a time of prayer and consecrate ourselves to the Lord to build these things into our church family. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this example of the early church Thank you, Lord, that we see a community, an incredible community, unbelievable community doing unbelievable things. Not only spiritually was your power flowing through them like never before, not only were many signs and wonders being done, but thousands of people were getting saved in a day. And Lord, they had a heart for you and for each other that was beautiful. I pray that you would form that same heart within us. Help us, Lord, to just be truly devoted, heart, mind, soul, and strength to one another. Not just here, but even all around the churches that are in distress. Remembering our friends and our family in in churches all around the world that are facing many trials. And Lord, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to gather in friendship and build warm relationships. Not settle for cold, frigid, plastic, fake encounters with people, but to go deeper than that. 
Bless all of our groups, Lord, and may we truly sense a kindred spirit as you move among us. Help us, O oh Lord, as we give generously to the needs of others and benevolence and, and, and what we need, Lord, by way of mission, sending out people and even caring for this building. And uh, Lord, and, and we just ask that you would help us as from the heart we love to give to you and to others. Help us to trust you to meet all of our needs. And we pray that you would, that you would meet all of our needs according to your glorious riches as you have before and as you will forever. Lord, we believe that what we do for your kingdom will matter a million years from now. We truly believe that. So help us from the heart to take care of each other and to expand the mission to go and make disciples. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.